The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this is another opportunity for discussion, questions, comments about your practice, that we've, especially what we've been exploring today. Yeah. Um, would somebody pass a mic up? Nope, we got two coming. <laughs> Hi, I'm V. So earlier you mentioned some of the questions that we, we may want to introduce to ourselves where, you know, what may this be about? and um, What purpose is this yeah, serving? Yeah. What purpose is this? And, but then you also said to not be involved with the thoughts. And it's a little bit contradictory for me. Um, and even in today, like, I notice myself like, oh, I'm in thought. Okay, I notice it, let it go, and just being present and aware, noticing my surroundings, noticing body sensations. But I feel like what I'm doing is really kind of going away from thoughts, uh-huh. like making that effort to not be with my thoughts more so. Um, and I'm just curious if that's part of the practice or should I even just let my thoughts kind of go more and be with yeah. it? Yeah, so this is a great question, the question about thoughts and practice. And in fact, you know, I, I've in, introduced some thoughts, you know, some questions into the practice. And so how does that fit with the uh, idea that we might want to let go of some of our thoughts? Let's see if I can collect my thoughts about this. Um, So I would say that our meditation practice, I mean, often, especially at the beginning of meditation practice, we encourage a not engaging with thoughts because they tend to be the avenue that we leave the present moment. Um, It's not necessary for us to leave the present moment when we're thinking. It is possible to be mindful while we're thinking. Um, and I think, I think sometimes we, um, we have the sense, especially from the early instructions, of if you're thinking, let go of that, come back to something more present, that we get the idea that, oh, if we're thinking, we can't be mindful. And so we, we, we create that kind of idea or that context in our mind. And it's not actually true. We can be mindful while thinking, and it's actually good, a good thing, because if we couldn't be mindful while thinking, there would be large parts of our experience that we couldn't be mindful of. <laughs> and so it is possible, but it is more challenging. It is, it's a challenging area to bring mindfulness to. And so um, 
we often initially suggest not to engage with the thinking and to come back to something more clearly in the present moment. What I would say is with um, mindfulness practice, ultimately our, um, our practice can open to all aspects of our experience, including thought, and that the aim of our mindfulness practice would be to be able to be aware of whatever's happening in the present moment and that there's nothing off limits. Um, and so with respect to thinking, it's not so much about trying to stop thinking, but rather allowing awareness to infuse the thinking so that we can become conscious while thinking. Um, so that's a little bit of context. I think, I think um, if in concentration practice, and a lot of what we explore is a kind of a blend of concentration and mindfulness practice, where perhaps we start with the breath, and if anything pulls us away from the breath, we might initially let go and just come back to the breath. But if something's strong, we might attend to it. And that kind of basic um, practice that we often explore in mindfulness, it's a blend of mindfulness and concentration in that we're prioritizing coming back to the breath. And yet if something's strong, we let ourselves move to that. But in general, we don't explore the terrain of thought too much in that, in that practice. So the concentration practices... So we, usually, we often have this blend of concentration and mindfulness practice, but concentration practices, we would let go of thoughts. And so the instruction absolutely in concentration practice is, if you're thinking, let go of thought and come back to the breath. Because the mind is not going to settle into one place connected to one experience if it's continually going off. And so some of that, I think, is where the idea comes from, to let go of the thought. Both of those pieces, first that in concentration practice we do let go of thoughts and in the second place that uh, early in our mindfulness practice thoughts tends to be a really hard object to pay attention to and so we encourage not too much engagement with it. So in terms of learning to pay attention to thought, um, First of all, just recognizing, I mean, one of the the most helpful things is to recognize it is possible to be mindful of thought, but really helpful to begin to recognize when you become aware of thinking. Uh, And the Buddha did this practice. This is a great uh, practice. He said, when I became aware of thinking, I recognized that I could divide my category, my thinking into a couple categories. Either it was thinking that wasn't helpful or it was thinking that wasn't unhelpful you know it's sometimes thinking can actually be helpful but you know is it actively unhelpful or is it helpful or at least not unhelpful and so he started looking at that and he said when unhelpful thoughts arose and he said thoughts based on uh, desire ill will or um, uh, let's see sense, desire, ill will, and cruelty. Those were the three he categorized. Um, So desire, ill will, and cruelty. If thoughts were in that category, he said, those thoughts aren't helpful. 
I should set those aside as best I can. So, you know, sometimes what setting aside means with thoughts that aren't helpful is sometimes we can't just flip a switch and turn them off, but we can, rather than engage with the thought, turn towards, okay, here's what's happening in the whole mind-body system as a result of that thought. So we feel the contraction in the body, we feel the the tension, the tightness, the, uh, the moods, the emotions that have been created as a result of thinking thoughts like that. And that's a way of attending to the consequences of thought, in a way. So we are, uh, it's not saying that I need to stop. It's like we take our attention out of the content of the thought and pay attention to how the thoughts are impacting us here and now. And so that's, that's a, a kind of instruction around thoughts that are unhelpful. And so the first thing to do is just to begin to recognize, okay, here's a thought. If we wake up into it, is it unhelpful? If it's unhelpful, then setting it aside, at least not engaging with the content, but paying attention to how it has landed, how it has impacted. Thoughts are so powerful. This is... Um, Something we see with our meditation, you know, we're sitting there kind of minding our own business and some thought from, you know, three weeks ago appears in our mind of a conversation we were having with somebody where we were arguing with them. And that thought, you know, before that thought arose, there was ease and peace and relaxation in the mind and body. After that thought arises, the mind recreates that conflict in the mind and often the emotions. This is an example of a way thoughts have a power over us. And so learning to see that is really, really helpful. Uh, You know, it's like seeing the conditioned nature of that reactivity arising. It it was dependent on that thought. And and the the reactions arose as a result of re-engaging with that thought. And so with unhelpful thoughts, we learn... How to, how to work with them skillfully, often meaning set aside the content in favor of what's here now as a result of thinking. So on the other side of the equation, the Buddha said, and I saw that there were also thoughts based on um, non-ill will, non-cruelty, and renunciation. And he said, you know, I, I think these, these are not unhelpful thoughts. And sometimes some of our thoughts are actually helpful. And so first of all, beginning to distinguish our thoughts, helpful or unhelpful. If they're helpful, he said, his reflection was, I saw I could think this thought all day and all night without hurting anybody. So it, was not, it, wasn't, it wasn't going to create harm. Sometimes those kinds of thoughts can actually serve us in the furthering of our lives, of choices that we need to make of plans that we need to make. And so not all thoughts are inherently problematic. Some of our thoughts are needed for us to navigate our lives. There's a large percentage of our thoughts that are not so helpful. When I look at my own thoughts uh, in, in the... in before I started practice, I'd, you know, I'd say some good, like, 90% of the thoughts not so helpful. They had to do with, you know, me telling myself I was a failure or trying to prop myself up somehow or arguing with somebody in my mind or, you know, just a whole host of thoughts that weren't so helpful. 
So a lot of our thoughts aren't so helpful. So learning that ability to let go of the content to turn to the uh, what's here. And so a lot of times when our thoughts are related to a kind of habit or pattern, um, kind of a conditioned habit or pattern, there is an emotion connected with them. And so there's a way that we can... It's like it's not it's not dismissing the energy of what's happening in the moment, but it's more kind of turning to what's underneath that whole pattern. Often a feeling of uh, you know some kind of habitual feeling of you know fear or anxiety or anger or confusion or um, wanting. And so if we can turn to that underneath the thought then we are back in the present moment. We are here. We're not lost in the thought. On the other side, with helpful thoughts, if we can begin to be curious, okay, so this thought is not unhelpful, may even be helpful. Also easy to get lost in those, right? Also easy to lose mindfulness. So there, the encouragement is kind of similar in a way. It's like, it's not to let go of the content but to see if you can expand the awareness to be aware, okay, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I need to be doing. And while you're exploring that content, you're also at the same time connecting with aware of, and how does that content impact me? Is the heart open or contracted? So we begin to recognize, okay, I need to be thinking about this plan. And how is the heart? Oh, there's a lot of anxiety while I'm planning. Okay, well, I wonder if there's a way to engage with that planning that might have a little more spaciousness. So we, we, we begin to be curious about our relationship to the thoughts and to the uh, um, response that we have as a result of those thoughts. So there's a tool that Saito Utejaniya talks about with respect to engagement with daily life. You know, we're doing all kinds of stuff in daily life. There is content that we have to, we have to meet. We have got to think about our, our loved ones, get our kids out to school, help our partners with what they might need, you know, get, get our plans for the next day. There's, we have to think and we have to do, we have to engage in content in the world. We need to have conversations. And, you know, if we were just sitting there, oh, things as they are, you know, sitting on a mountaintop somewhere, you know, it's like, we can't do that as lay people. You know, we are engaged. We have to engage. And so, um, the tool that Sayadaw Tejaniya says is, yes, you have to engage in content in daily life. Content is a place where we tend to get lost. So he suggests 50% of the attention on what's happening, 50% of the attention on the content of the email you're writing or the plan that you're making or the conversation that you're having, 50% of the attention on uh, who's in front of you and what they're saying, and 50% of the attention on how it is for you to be there. What's the inner experience of being engaged in that content? And an easy beginning exploration around that is, is there ease or is there tension? Probably it's going to have one of those flavors. 
And so just, okay, I'm having this conversation, but ooh, I'm feeling, something's feeling tight here. That's a beginning of being able to engage with that content and know, okay, something, there's something here. Something's going on here too. And as we begin to explore that, we begin to get more skill in knowing what's happening in our system around thoughts, around engagement with others, conversations, emails. And so that exploration around skillful thought has a wide application in our lives. The other piece that the Buddha said around thought So he did say, yes, I can think these thoughts all day and all night. They're not going to create any harm. And he did say, and if I did think these thoughts all day and all night, the mind wouldn't settle into concentration. And so there's a time to let that go, to let even the wholesome thoughts go, even that, that there's a time to set those aside for a, a period where we're just letting our minds rest. So I hope that kind of covers some of the terrain around working with thought. And I don't want to give the idea that we have to um, set thought aside. There's definitely a way, especially in this practice, it might be open. Okay, there's a thought happening right now. And what else is happening with that thought? First of all, checking, is it helpful or unhelpful? But if it's it's not an unhelpful thought, then what's what's the response? Sometimes I see in my meditation, I'm sitting here meditating, and the mind comes up with a Dharma thought that is just the right instruction for that moment. And so sometimes attending to those thoughts, and actually it's more like the the thought arises of... um, you know, Sometimes those questions that I say, you can drop in, sometimes those arise spontaneously. And so when those arise spontaneously, the system may, you know, our, our, our hearts and minds just go respond to that by kind of being curious. Oh, well, what about that? You know, what about the body right now? Um, so sometimes the thoughts are actually helpful for us in our practice. And so again, to, to not just out of hand dismiss them, but begin to get some discernment around when they're helpful and when they're not. Thank you for the question. Yeah, over here. So in the last few days, I've been having trouble concentrating. My mind has been wandering quite a bit. Uh, So what I've noticed that while meditating, when I kind of wake up and I realize that my mind was wandering, that's when I have this kind of... reactivity to it that oh i was not uh i was not here uh-huh so i come back and then again it, when it wanders the moment i <clears throat> i wake up i feel that kind of this almost like this aversion or reactivity that or guilt almost yes this is very common <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean this is the way our minds are habitually around when we decide we're going to do something, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And then when we discover we don't have ultimate control over our minds, it's like we, we get frustrated with that. But what you're actually seeing there is the truth of not-self. You know, you have sat down to uh, meditate. And 
there's some degree of agency we have to connect with our experience and we engage with that agency and can stay with our breath maybe for two minutes, <laughs> some period of time, often not long in daily life. And, and then the mind wanders. That's like, who did that wandering? You know, if you were in charge of your mind, it wouldn't wander. So that pattern is a conditioned pattern, the pattern of the mind wandering, of, of leaving the present moment, of picking up on something else in the present moment and following it out. That's usually what happens, actually, is you know, you're sitting here meditating, maybe choosing to pay attention to something in particular, or, or maybe doing open awareness. And in that process, uh, the mind notices something, or attention picks up on something that maybe it's kind of just below the level of what we're aware it's picking up on. So this often happens, I've seen, in directing the attention. If you're directing the attention to the breath, we've got this agenda. We're with the breath. We're with the breath. We're with the breath. A sound happens, but we're with the breath. But the mind follows the sound, and it just leaves based on the, fa- the sound. So it, that, that often this kind of thing will happen when we're directing the attention. It's like we've got this agenda to be here, but the attention has picked up on something else. But because of that agenda, we don't notice that it's shifted focus and we get lost. So this is just a conditioned pattern of mind. It's just the, the mind doing its thing. So it points out, actually, this very pattern of of noticing that our mind wanders is pointing out that we don't have so much control over my mind, our mind. And then the moment of waking up. You know, who did that? You, you, you couldn't have done that one. <laughs> I mean, you weren't there to do it. <laughs> so, so there it is. It arises. And yet, because we have this idea, the aversion, the, the judgment, the, the, the guilt, is related... Not to the fact that the mind has woken up, but but to the whole idea that we've created that I'm supposed to be in control of my mind. And so that's where the judgment comes from, because we've got this belief, I'm supposed to be in control of my mind, and and this is proving we aren't in control of our mind. (laughs) If we can if we can be, be curious and interested in that aspect of it, instead of holding on to this idea that I should have control of my mind. That can be a beginning of uh, just being in awe of the conditioned power of habit. It is just amazing. And it's humbling. It's humbling to recognize that we have much less control than we... We had the delusion we had control. We had this complete illusion that we were in control of our minds. I certainly had that delusion until I started meditating. When we can come to that place where when, we, when our mindfulness returns um, and we're not judging it, the practice gets a lot easier. <laughs> and yet, of course, you notice. I mean, you're not... You're not you're not in control of judging it either. That, too, is a conditioned pattern. That's just arising. Um, and so the first thing there in terms of practicing with it is to 
just, oh, okay, the mindfulness has returned. No, there's that judgment again. There's the shame. There's the guilt. Just notice what's there in that moment. But I have found that the tool or the trick, perhaps, or the instruction, sometimes I call this an instruction, to be curious in the moment when mindfulness returns, because that moment, you know, it is, it's a great moment. I mean, not only is mindfulness back after you've been lost, but it was an effortless moment of mindfulness. You did not have to do it. It showed up by itself, and it's a real, um, it's a gift in a way to, to point us to the possibility of mindfulness being there without our having to work so hard. So there it is. It arises. And uh, sometimes I suggest that people get interested in that experience of what is it for mindfulness to come back. It doesn't matter. I mean, you could do a whole sitting. Do a whole sitting where you flip it around. You don't care if your mind wanders. You're not trying to stay present. What you're trying to do is to recognize mindfulness when it comes back. So you don't even have to try to be mindful. Just let your mind wander and notice when it comes back. And get curious about that moment. What is that like for mindfulness to return? And um, in, if, what I've found is when I've turned it around that way and got just curious, okay, it doesn't matter how many times my mind wanders. Every time it wanders, I've got an opportunity to notice that moment of effortless mindfulness and what it's like for the awareness to come back. When I was exploring it from that perspective, a lot of the judgment went away because the interest was not so much in having the attention on something. Like, you know, if we have an idea that I'm supposed to have my attention with the breath, then when the attention doesn't go with the breath, the mind gets frustrated. But in this case, the emphasis is more on what is it like for mindfulness to re-arise? What is that like? then there's nothing to judge. <laughs> it's, there it is. It's come back. Okay, what's that? So, I mean, it's, it's a tricky place. It is, it is something we all... Anybody not have this experience? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got a lot of company with this one, you know. And it's, it, it's a practice to work with, with that. But um, sometimes playing with, uh, seeing if you can recognize that moment of mindfulness returning can help with that. Maybe time for one more, if there's another question. Yeah. So um, what, what we're talking about is how we set about the condition for mindfulness to arise. And then what you're suggesting is we try to become aware of what that condition was that brought the awareness. Um, that, that can happen in that moment. In the moment when mindfulness returns, we can be aware of some of the conditions that led to it returning. But that's, I think that's a little more um, of a subtle uh, recognition. Um, in, in fact, in the moment when mindfulness returns, there can be a kind of lingering, you know, mindfulness is back and there can kind of be a lingering memory of what was there before. Um, and that's really useful to start to get curious about, you know, what was there right before. But 
mostly I, I want the, the first place to notice is just what is it like for this to come back? And then the, the mindfulness there seems to begin to inform us of what's around it. And maybe behind you, there was one more behind you. Um, so I had a question about sort of working, an experience that comes up for me quite frequently in meditation is um, a lot of difficulty in, in the body, uh, sort of physical pain um, that becomes very, very intense, like it's often very difficult to be with. Yeah. Um, and so I notice, like I've been working with this a lot for, for a while, um, and I think the typical pattern I think that I see happening sort of over and over again um, is that um, I'll, I'll start to sort of meditate and sort of pay attention and, and the experience becomes very intense. Um, and my mind will sort of, it's, it's too much to be with. Um, and so often my, um, mind will sort of drift. Um, and I've learned to sort of let this happen, I think, mm -hmm. um, cause I don't think there's any other option really. Um, but I'll notice that I sort of drift into this state where, it's either sleepy or it's sort of disconnected uh -huh. um, in some way. And, and there's what it feels like is kind of 90% of my mind is sort of gone. Um, and the other 10% is sort of connected to these sensations or the body. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, and then there are these, you know, moments that you've been pointing to of, of just sort of waking up to that. And, and I definitely notice what you mentioned earlier of, you know, sometimes after sort of coming out of this state, the body is in sort of a calmer Yes, a calmer state, and it's sort of easier to be with. Yes. Um, so I, I guess I guess I just wanted to sort of check in. I mean, like I say, I've been working with this for a while, and I I don't necessarily see any other way to sort of work with it. But just wanted to see if this sounds like. So the the, the one piece that I w we didn't hear you talk about was how you relate to the aversion to the pain, um, and that's an important piece of the equation. You know, there's the pain in the body, the discomfort in the body, and then there's a relationship to it, which is mm -hmm. usually aversion. And sometimes what happens in meditation is we get the idea, I'm supposed to be with the physical sensation. But if there's, aversion, if there's strong physical pain and there's aversion to it, usually it's not so helpful to let your attention be with the pain at all. Mm -hmm. Just notice the aversion. Notice the aversion get stronger, get weaker, play with it a little bit, see if you can be with the aversion. The attention will get drawn back to the pain. Notice what happens then, the aversion spikes. So kind of watch that dynamic between aversion and pain. When the aversion weakens, the pain sometimes weakens. <laughs> so, so just noticing that kind of dynamic. And, and what I would encourage too is, um, you know, is, the physical, is the pain related to the sitting itself? Um, no, I think this is more related to sort of a lot of kind of trauma. And, and okay, sort of okay, so not related um, to the posture itself. Yeah, um, and, and I guess I, I would say as well, I've, I've been working with it for a while, and I, I really don't feel aversion to it. In uh -huh. fact, I don't feel any aversion to getting lost either. So, I mean, it almost feels like I'm just sort of too relaxed in a, in a way of... Uh -huh. I mean, All right. Well, I would, I would ch double check because you, you, you did use the word difficult. It's too hard to be with. Mm -hmm. That language implies there's some kind of aversion. It may be a really quiet, subtle aversion that's not like really strong, but mm -hmm. there's probably some little bit of 
Don't need to go there, you know. Just So just notice that. Then the other piece about the mind kind of drifting away from it, that's fine. You know, what I would encourage there is to see, can the mindfulness go with you to that place? You know, it's, it's, you said it, it mo- you described it pretty well, that like there's kind of a disconnection from experience, 10% is kind of knowing the experience. It's possible for mindfulness to be fully aware of that, whatever that is, that state of pulling back from experience. So explore the possibility of that. And, and it, it, it may feel like that state is inherently non-mindful, but don't believe it. It, it, it's possible for mindfulness to actually follow there. And, and the moment of waking up in the moment where you said you, you could wake up and see there was actually some relaxation there, a little bit more, the moment of waking up into it is a little bit of a clue about what it would mean to be mindful in that state. You get a little bit familiar with what it is as the mindfulness returns in that moment. You get familiar with that experience of that maybe just backed off from looking at the pain, essentially. So that's the other side to explore. So we need to stop. Thank you for your practice today. I want to uh, do a sharing of the merit to close the day. May the beneficial results of our practice together today be shared, be offered outwards to all the beings that we meet as we leave here and ripple out from them. May the benefits of our practice be of support to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy, healthy, safe, and at ease. May all beings know peace. Peace.